All right, so today our topic is death to selfie. Come on, that's good, isn't it? Death. How many of you have posted at least one selfie this week? I know that's not true. There are some of you that are saying this is negative already. There's no way I would admit this. So let's try it one more time. Totally safe audience. You don't know that it's supposed to be a bad thing. How many of you posted a selfie this week? Golly, I, I guarantee you when I ask that at 11, it'll be seven-eighths of the room. Here's what I find. Some of us are posting way too many selfies. Are you with me? Do, do you not know somebody who literally every hour or two has a selfie they've posted? Our youngest daughter, Samantha, cannot walk past a mirror without doing this. And at what point did that become how we take a picture? And then she's got kind of this really like cute little look that's like, but it's, I know she's working on that. I've seen her work on that very smile. And in the midst of that, I think to myself, I remember when there were no such things as cell phones, A, but I also remember the first time, Bobby, that there was a camera on a phone. And me thinking to myself, what fool needs a camera on a phone? And, and then I recall when everything, when social media just busted out and we take some unbelievable photos. Listen, did you know that last year, think about this, last year there were an average of 24 million selfies a day that were posted. Think about that, 24 million. That's just uploaded by way of Google. When you go full out, thanks Matt, when you go full out, did you know there are over 28 billion selfies that are posted each year? Think about that, 24 bill or 28 billion selfies every year. Now, we take pictures of, of everything now. We take pictures of our food. Uh, we take pictures of people with old clothes. We take pictures of people with blue clothes. We take pictures if you happen to be a, uh, if you happen to be a, uh, uh, here we go, now I can think better. If you happen to be a, a part of some type of political, you can take pictures with no clothes. If you are, are somebody that is on Fox News, you may have sent an inappropriate photo. But we have pictures of everything. And by the way, haven't we determined that it didn't really happen until we took a picture of it? Like if you go to a ball game, what is the first thing you do? You check in and take a picture and you post where you're at. You know why? Because things are good. You know what I rarely see on Facebook? I rarely see this thought on Facebook. Man, I have made the most stupid decision in my life and I wanna share this with you. I, I rarely see somebody who say, you know, I completely blew it today. Let me take a selfie of how miserable my surroundings are, and I want you to see that. Now, there are a lot of good that comes from social media. I get that. But today's topic about death to selfie isn't really about saying that selfies are bad. Now, I would be willing to say that almost every study in, in the, under mankind would say that there is a line in which there are too many selfies that breeds narcissism and self-love and a host of mental health challenges that come with this, including we never measure up to whoever takes the better picture. How many, I'm, well, I'm not even gonna ask you this. I know that many of you know that when you take your picture and you put that uh, app on your phone that can clean up the wrinkles of your face and make everything look beautiful, that you know when we look at that, we know that, right? Y'all know that when we see that picture, we know that up close, you've got, you've got lines going here and you've got splotches going there 
And this chin thing, when you pull it out a little bit, does not look like who you are. And when your teeth get that much whiter, even though you drink a gallon and a half of coffee a day, we know that's not right. I mean, all these things happen, but they don't happen in the sense of they're in a void. Today, they happen where the world can see it. But now, even before we had selfies or the thought of selfie sticks, I mean, don't you know you had all the time there was somebody in your family, there was some family member that anywhere you looked, even in the days of Polaroid or having to be able, pre-digital photography where where you had to take and actually drop film off to be developed somewhere, there was always somebody in your family that they were always in the center of the picture, weren't they? Just think of who they are in your family now. They had to be there. Listen to what uh, was, was said about selfies by uh, Teddy Roosevelt's daughter. Here's what she said. I thought this was pretty interesting. Father always had to be the center of attention. When he went to a wedding, he wanted to be the bride. When he went to a funeral, he was sorry he couldn't be the corpse. I mean, this is an unhealthy perspective of selfies. A couple of Sundays back, I asked you to write down a unique prayer request that only God could solve. And I was so shocked that hundreds of people lined the, this, this room and they dropped these off. At, at, and I only did it in one hour, but there were hundreds and hundreds of these. And through the week as I prayed for those, and there were so many, I carried it over into some of this week just praying for these folks. I found that there, there were some pretty unique commonalities and all of those prayer requests. We had a lot of folks that spoke specifically about mental health. We had more than anything talk about marriage. What we found in here was people that wanted to become healthy. I saw all kinds of things talking about the need for their spouse to be something else or their children to be something else or they wanted to be something else. Over and over, I found the commonality, but the, the biggest commonality I found was this, that in every case, nobody could do that on their own. Nobody could accomplish the task on their own. Everybody needed some sense of divine, not only inspiration, but divine association that came along with the divine revelation. That in the midst of all this, we we brought a ton of requests that said, I cannot do this on my own. I need somebody else to happen. I can't do it on my merit or my will or my discipline or my hard work. I can't make all that happen. They all require the power and the presence of the divine. Now, I think about that and I say, well, the degree to which you believe that seems to come through in in the percentage of which that is responded to. You see, here's what I know about the divine. The solution is found in the listener, not in the request. Oftentimes we get this in our mind that, okay, if I could talk to God the way so-and-so talked to God, then I might have my prayers answered the way they do. But the fact is that the answer is not in how you say the prayer. The answer is not how eloquently you can offer the prayer. It's not about how well you think you know God because you have a a back door into his study. It's not because you've done so many good things. It is simply God himself that says when we get ourselves in the posture where we care less about us and more about us being like him, then we can have a death to selfie. And this is when God takes that and does his best work in our life. This is when we find that we cannot live a holy life when our entire perspective of life is about us. We cannot live a holy life when in our life we have filled ourselves with so much of 
of us that we cannot empty ourselves enough to get where there's the presence of God to take over. We cannot have any prayer that God cannot answer, but we cannot have any hope of that prayer being answered when it is completely saturated with us. You see, the very nature of praying leads us to the nature of deserving anything that is less than awesome. Now watch this. When I think about how our prayers get answered and I study the Lord's Prayer or I study the host of scriptures we're about to use, I come to this one desperate idea. And that is this, that when I empty myself of me, when you empty yourself of you, and we invite the presence and the power of the divine into our soul, it is in that moment that we are prepared to pray so that we might have an opportunity to live a more holy lifestyle, to just flirt with the edge of having holiness in our life. You see, I know that I know that I know because I believe the scripture that God indeed has called us to live in holiness. But for many of us, holiness, like Mark's testimony, holiness has this this moving target for us. But there are a handful of things that we know holiness has to include. One of them is truth. There, There cannot be holiness apart from pure truth. We know this, there cannot be pure holiness without humility. We know that there cannot be holiness apart from seeking after and running toward Christ that we might live more like him. That there is no such thing as holiness in our life apart from spending time with the only one that is truly holy. You see, living a holy life means that God is in control and that means that death to self has to happen. But it is costly to have a death to ourself. It costs us something. To unleash the ugliest part of our soul is to insist that I can accomplish the petitions and life decisions apart from the divine. When I look at this, I think completely void of a holy God means there's no holiness. And so if we look at this and say, I want all that God offers for me. I want everything that Jesus promised me. I want the spirit of God to direct me and guide me. I want all of these things to happen, but I don't want to pay the price for it. Then you've already determined that mediocrity in your spiritual life is certainly fine. Where I get baffled is when we have such a zeal to move up a corporate ladder or we have such a zeal to make more money, neither of which are wrong, by the way, But when we put them above the place of God, we have said we don't need to live our lives in holiness, that we don't need the God of all holiness, that we don't need the divine to take over our soul. We don't need to die to ourselves and live for him. We can just do it all on our own. Well, based on what I've seen about your prayer requests in my own life, I can honestly say, I know I can't do it alone. And I can tell you, you can't either. Now, you got folks in here that are type A, you know, high D. They're ready to tackle the world. I mean, these are the folks that start wars and end wars, and these are the folks that accomplish great things. And many of us in that world think, well, I can just tough it out. I'm tougher than this. I can do this. I can make it through. But over and over and over, we find in Scripture where the Word of God says, no, you can't. You cannot experience holiness in your real estate office with, with him without him. You cannot find holiness on the job site apart from him. So what I'm trying to say to you is this, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but you've got to let God take control of all of that if there's any hope that holiness can happen. Paul was so serious about the concept of holiness that he tells us in the scriptures that we must relinquish our own control of our own lives 
and die to them so that we might lay claim to the fullness of Jesus. Over in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 6, listen to what the text says. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We no longer are slaves to sin. This is why we can sing, there is power in the name of Jesus. This is why we, we can sing, he will break every chain. This is why we can believe when we pray, he hears us. That we ourselves, this old self of me, when I surrender to Christ, what truly I'm doing is saying, this me that I know, all that people think about me or see on the outside, that's, I'm dead to that. I am dead to selfishness because I've realized it leads me nowhere. I'm, I'm death to trying to accomplish everything in my own power because I keep going backwards. I, I, am, I am dead to trying to be the, someone who's always looking for fame and fortune and never leaving any room for God anymore. And it's a surrender that says, Lord, I'm willing to let you take all that I have, including my selfish, sinful life, and die to that so that sin might lose its power in our life. But how would I knew that? Because at the end, it makes this promise in that text. We are no longer slaves to sin. Well, how do we know that? Well, Jesus came God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, so that he could accomplish everything necessary that we could live in holiness with him, that we could live in right relationship with God. Now, when Paul is writing this, he's writing with a metaphor that he uses over and over and over again in his writings. Listen to the words that he wrote to the book of Galatians. Bless you. Into the book of Galatians where I think when he says in chapter two, verse 20, we get it even better. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you catch that? Our old sinful selves are crucified with Christ. Now here's the thing we've got to grasp about this. When Paul is writing to this church in Galatia and he's writing to these unique Galatian people, he's saying this, remember as Christ was crucified, so are we as we join him in that. Our old self, our old self has been crucified with Christ. Now, to us in this, in this day and age, it is hard for us to recognize and even metaphorically get the thought of dying to oneself. So Paul, when he's writing to the Galatians, is speaking of, of, a, of a death that is not uncommon. You see, most of us think that Jesus was crucified and this was the one time that crucifixion happened. But that wasn't true at all. Crucifixions were almost daily. They happened all the time. What separated Jesus from every other crucifixion was that he rose from the dead. You see, what separated Jesus from every other crucifixion was he shed his blood as a perfect lamb of God that we might have forgiveness of our sin. But crucifixions happened regularly. And by the way, they didn't happen on top of a, of a sweet hill far away. They happened all in the place where people literally could stop by and spit upon those people and curse those people. It happened on the, on the corner of First and Main. It happened where people walked and saw. And so when he's saying them, to them, my old self has been crucified, I guarantee you their ears perked up and thought, that's not good. But he's saying it is very good. He is saying that my old self has been cross crucified with Jesus 
It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. You see, if we have any hope of being able to get past ourself, to being able to get past everything that's within us so that we might experience everything that God has for us, we've got to allow him to take everything within us and separate us from that so that we might be filled with him. You say, well, Chuck, this whole concept of death to self does not sound good to me. Well, let me ask you this. Would you agree that in this moment and in this time, what we could all use is more of Christ and less of us? Could we, could we agree that that's, that's absolutely true? Could we agree that in our society today, what we could probably use a lot of dose of is more Jesus and less picket signs? Okay, well, could, could we do with, 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 with less sex on TV and pay-per-view and the movie theaters and more Jesus in our entertainment lives. Yeah, I think we'd all agree with that. But we look at it and say, but does that cost me something? Yes, it costs this, dying to ourselves so that we might live in him and he live within us. See, when Paul wrote this, he's writing to people who understand the concept of crucifixion as a common form of death, of punishment. But what does it mean to have been crucified to your old self? Every request of the divine is to be delivered in the spirit of having died to our old self and having claimed the rich and wonderful inheritance of Jesus. And how do we do that? I mean, if you have read your Bible at all, if you went to Sunday school as a little boy or girl, you went to vacation Bible school, you heard the concepts of being separated, of being, being dying to self, but what does it mean and how do we do that? Well, let, let's get ridiculously practical for just a minute. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's easy to lose weight. All right, stick with me here. I think it's easy to lose weight. I had a friend that ran into me the first time in a few years, and he must have known me when I was just on the other side of beached whale. And he looked at me and said, man, you look great. He said, what did you do? I said, well, actually, you know, I, I ate less and I moved more. And he said, no, but what did you do? I said, well, you know, actually, I kind of ate less and I moved more. And I said, over the course of my life, I have basically lost 999 pounds. Based on that, I ought to be able to hang on a charm bracelet. But the fact of the matter is, there's a difference in knowing how simple it is in paying the price. Did you know that it is physically impossible to eat donuts for breakfast every morning and lose weight? Did you know that if you eat ice cream every night about 9.30 before you go to bed, it's really almost impossible to lose weight? I mean, did you know that if you don't move more, you can lose weight by just eating better, but when you put the two together, they're extremely powerful. It costs you something, doesn't it? You know what it costs? Man, I sure wish I could taste X, but what do we have to replace that with? Something that's healthy, something that's better. The spiritual life is no different than this. It is not difficult, it's pretty simple, but it's not easy. Do you see what I mean? It's, it's, it's simple, which is less of me, more of Jesus. You know, Jesus said the person who is the greatest man ever born was John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist say that we remember him for other than at the baptism of Jesus? We remember John the Baptist saying, look, that's the, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. I'm not worthy to tie his sandals. There must be more of him and less of us. This is what we're looking at if we're going to experience this wholeness. To die to ourself is less of us and more of Christ in our life. I've discovered that losing weight is simple, but it's not easy. I've learned that walking with Christ is simple, but it's not easy. 
You see, I really like food, and the food I like is not the food that I can eat a lot of. Well, you know what? There, in, in, our, in our spiritual life, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, and practice there is, is what Yogi Berra said. Now think about that. Does that make any sense at all? This is how I think we tackle a lot of our spirituality. We take a Yogi Berraism and say, you know, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice because in practice there is. And you look at that and you think, how could he say something that ridiculous? Well, number one, he's Yogi Berra. But number two, it's this understanding of trying to figure out why is it so difficult? You see, in theory, living a holy life is simple. You simply do what God wants you to do, done. But what about in practice? Well, it's not easy. Some 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. And here's what he said. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my selfish nature, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Sound familiar? I mean, it's, it's almost like, you know, every day there's a certain amount of things that I am just going to totally mess up. I'm going to make a poor decision here. I'm going to say something inappropriate there. I'm going to do something that isn't Christ-like or holy in this perspective. And that, it sounds so familiar. Well, I look at that and think, and if that was all Paul wrote, then we would feel like there's no hope for us tomorrow. Because Paul is even saying, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. I want to do good, but I don't. I want to act right, but I don't. I want to, I want to be right, but I'm not. And so if you're not careful, you stop at that text and say, man, I am, there's no hope for me. We're done. But what, what else does Paul say about the process of dying to oneself? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, listen to what he says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Paul is saying for you and for me, Every selfish, sinful desire you can bring to Christ and at the feet of a dead, buried, and risen Savior, leave it there. I know a lot of folks who have put their hope on their ability to do something better tomorrow. I know a lot of folks who've decided we're going to do better tomorrow. You see, dying to self isn't simply thinking more of others. Although that's a biblical death, death to selfie is trusting in and accepting all the divine has in store for you. But to accept all that the divine has for us requires us to be receptive to his voice, to be receptive to, to the things that he has placed in our life that we might see as interruption and God might see as possibility. And we look at this and say in the same way that while most everybody would agree Chuck should lose more weight, and although many of you found it essential to share that with me, you can't lose my weight. You can only do yours. Just like you can't count on this church or me for your holiness, you've got to choose it. I, 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 I'm the only one that can wake up in the morning and say, I'm fixed my weight. But you know, I, I'm also the same person that has to wake every morning and says, I'm going to walk more, more, more sincerely and more hopeful. I'm going, I'm going to walk in a way that is clearly more in, in line with what the Lord Jesus has called me to. It's the same thing to trying to live a holy life, an obedient life to God's will. The preacher can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. You and your parents can't do it for you. You have to choose that. 
You have to every day choose to do that. And you see, I look at that and I think, while God can't or won't do it for you, in the sense that he won't take you away, he's going to give you a free will. He's going to say, you pick. You can have all of me you want or none of me if you want. You can choose, do you want more storms or less storms in your life? Do, Do you want more of me or less of me? And by the way, these are not difficult things to wrangle to the ground. If we took a look at our calendar, we say, well, did I leave more room for God or didn't I? If we look at our checkbook, did I trust God more with this or didn't I? I can look at our children. Is it worth me sitting down and reading scripture with my children or didn't I? The scripture is one of these passages like Galatians 5, 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You see, every morning when I start, the first thing I do is these three things I'm grateful for. And right after that, I start getting into the scripture and asking the Lord, Lord, would you do something in my life to refresh my love for you? Would you give me direction that I might act more like you? I believe many of you already do that, but I want to invite you to it. But it wasn't only Paul who used the death as a metaphor in moving toward holiness and more Christ-likeness. Luke 9.23, Jesus made a point. He says, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. How often did Jesus say we have to die to ourselves and follow him? He said it's a daily struggle. Now to put that in context, if you took that term using its original form, here's what you would find. It's not just, okay, every day at 7 a.m., it is every moment, every millisecond, every second, every minute, every hour of every day. It is a never ceasing choice that we make to choose more of Christ. You see, Jesus knew that in our Christian life, if it was to be successful, then we need to have this ongoing commitment. This is why when he left to return to God the Father, he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when that Holy Spirit says within our soul, don't do that, that's about you, we get to have the choice. Is this a selfie moment or a God moment? Am I going to use my life to promote me or to promote Christ? Am I going to use what God has given me, the resources that God has entrusted to me? Am I going to use it for the use of the kingdom of God or am I going to use it for my platform and my kingdom? And you think about it and say, well, you know, Chuck, it feels like there's a lot of rules to this. Well, the fact is we know there's not. We know Jesus said the two most important things you're ever going to do in in the world is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and and love others as you love yourself. And, And he takes these two and he puts it all together. And he says, listen, if you'll choose me, it will be so much easier to follow my commands. Just like when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Well, there's two ways you look at that. You've heard me say it for six years. You could say on the one hand, hey, if you love me, you'll obey me. What's wrong with you? Or you could hear it this way. You know, Chuck, if you'll just love me, obeying me would be so much easier. You see, this is the part when we're trying to say, I want to see the end result of this, Chuck. I want to know what it's like to die to myself. Well, then it's the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Wouldn't you all like more love, more joy, more, pre- more peace, more patience, more kindness? Wouldn't we all like more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, and more self-control? That's the victory. That's the win. Death to self is not stepping backward in life. It is catapulting us light years ahead. 
It's the ability to say, death to selfie is a daily grind. It is an hourly effort and a second-by-second battle. All the efforts of this world, the only way we truly die to self is to empty us that we might be dead to ourself, but we might be full of Christ Jesus. Show me somebody who's walking with Christ and I'll show you somebody that when the storms of life came, they weathered them well. That when death came knocking on the door, heaven wasn't just hope, it was reality. Show me somebody who's been dead to themselves and resting and living in Christ and allowing Christ to live in them. And I'll show you someone who's living their life even in the middle of the storm with a peace-filled soul. So I guess I'd ask you, is dying to yourself worth having peace in your soul? Is dying to yourself, is, is it worth you knowing that you've got patience and joy and strength and contentment and hope? And I would say that any of us, if we knew that we knew that we knew that's what would come to dying to ourselves, we would find ourselves in the ability to say, Lord, it's not me, it's all you. Lord, it's not what I've done, it's all that you have done. Lord, it's not all about me, it's nothing I can do, it's everything you've already done for me. And in that is victory, and in that is hope, and in that is joy. Let's pray. My friend, I want to ask you in this In the sense of death to selfie, do we have the ability, Lord, to trust you more and more? Lord, I want to ask that you would give everyone here the ability to trust you. And there may be people who would say right now, Chuck, I I can't die to myself because I don't have anybody to live for. And this is where Jesus comes in. And you could say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my eternity. I want to live more for you. Would you forgive me? I want to turn my life around. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. Lord, thank you for dying for me and raising from the dead for me as payment for my sin. Lord, I want to die to myself, but I want to live in victory in you. Lord, I want to turn my back on my selfish way, and I want to open my heart to your holy way. Lord God, I have lived my life as a lukewarm believer for 50 years or 40 years or 20 years or 10 years. Lord, I don't want to live in a life of mediocrity anymore. I want to live where my soul is hot on fire for you. And I have emptied myself of selfishness. I've emptied myself of sinfulness. And I invite you into my life that I might be in this season holy before your eyes. So Lord, would you do what only you can do? And the folks watching online and the folks watching in this building, that this week we might choose you in every moment of every second, of every minute, of every hour, of every day. May we choose to die to ourselves and live because of you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.